Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Wednesday, August 24th, 2016. Be doing our light episode today, as I continue to ramble my way through the book of Genesis. Yeah, we're trying to start to bring that back. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you slow down. Stop. Open up your Bible and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there, and we put God's Word back into context and in order to compare with the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those who we need to be listening to and whose books we need to be buying and whose small group curriculum we need to be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, it's weird how that all works out. And one of the ways in which you learn biblical discernment, to know what God's Word really teaches, to be a good disciple of Jesus, to believe what it is that he wants you to believe, well, that requires you to avail yourself of good teaching, of sound teaching, where the pastor is not cherry-picking a verse here or there and stringing together his own theology, but actually working through large swaths of Scripture in order to teach you what is truly revealed there. The, the idea there is it's there for us to see and to hear. It's time that we apply ourselves to it. So what we do here at Fighting for the Faith on Wednesdays, we call them our light episodes, but they're far from light. They you know, oftentimes are quite heavy, quite weighty, quite in-depth. That's the idea. And uh, what we're going to be doing is we're going to take a look at Genesis chapter 34 today. And the occasion for this is, well, that's where we are in the text. But, you know, I would just kind of ask yourself, when was the last time you heard a pastor or a preacher or a teacher preach on the rape of Jacob's daughter, Dinah? Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I Many of you probably didn't even know it existed in the scriptures, and yet it does. And so the idea here is, is that they're, 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 you know, God has caused these things to be written for very important reasons. And there's a major motif, a major doctrine, a concept that flows through all of Scripture. And that is, is that the call to follow Christ is a call to suffer, to bear a cross. And uh, these are the crosses and trials and tribulations and sufferings that we go through. 
They are not a sign of God's hatred towards us. Yeah, quite the contrary. Thinking, really? Yeah, really. So with that, grab your Bible, head over to Genesis chapter 34, and we will get started. By way of preface, I'm going to ask you guys, when was the last time you heard a Bible teacher preach on the rape of Dinah? Last week? No, yeah, it happens all the time, right? I would like to posit this thought, that where Genesis goes next is really dark. And it's so dark, and it does not fit victorious Christian life theology at all. I want you to consider you know, kind of the arc of the story up to this point. You have Jacob fleeing for his life after receiving the blessing, and it's a messianic blessing. He flees for his life. His brother is harboring murderous thoughts against him. He heads to Uncle Laban's house, falls in love with his cousin. We won't talk about that part of it, right? Agrees to work for her for seven years, only to have on his wedding day the old switcheroo pulled on him. And he wakes up the morning after his wedding and the first night of his honeymoon, only to discover that the woman in his bed is not the woman of his dreams, it's, the, it's Leah, and she has weak eyes. In other words, she's kind of tough to look at. Totally betrayed. She's betrayed. Rachel's betrayed. He's betrayed. And this all results in, well, another seven years of service. Finally, God intervenes after those seven years, and over a six-year period, makes sure that Jacob actually gets paid because Laban is... There's words we have for Laban. Let's just say he's not an honest guy. He's kind of like a used car salesman. And he's always working the negotiations in his favor and never in the favor of his daughters, his grandchildren, his son-in-law. And so God intervenes and God now takes everything that belongs to Laban and gives it to Jacob. Jacob has everything now. Laban, not so much. But God intervenes and does something. Then he's heading back because God told him to head back, head back home to Canaan. And he hears that Esau is coming to visit with 400 men, which sounds like Delta Force coming, right? It's not good. And he panics. He divides up his property into two groups so that if they fall on one group and destroy them, at least he would have some survivors. This is his thinking, right? And then the weirdest thing happens of all. We covered this last week. In the midst of all of this, after his children and everyone have crossed the river, he's there by himself alone with his thoughts and his prayers. And Jesus shows up and says, hey, let's wrestle. Right? And it's just like out of nowhere. Really weird, right? They wrestle all night. Jesus, in the midst of the wrestling match, touches his hip. It's out of socket. But Jacob's not going to give up. And he hangs on. And says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. Right? And he says, what's your name? Yaakov. No longer Yaakov. Israel. He who has struggled with God. Right? And you think, this is the pinnacle moment. His name is changed from heel grabber to the one who wrestles with God. Now everything should go just great. Right? Here comes the victorious Christian life. He's going to 
go on a campaign and his life is just going to get better and better and better. And everyone's going to go, whoa, that was amazing. Look at how God took this guy from zero to hero. Yeah, yeah, Hercules, right? But that's not what happens. So we got Esau taken care of. Now the story gets really dark. And this is the way of the cross. I liked what one of the pastors said yesterday. Wow, look how much you're suffering. Jesus must really love you. And you sit there and go, what? Who thinks like this? Who thinks like this? So the story continues. Genesis 34. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah. And if you do the math on this, this girl is young. 11, 12 tops. Leah, whom she had born to Jacob, went out to see the women of the land. In other words, she didn't even realize she was in danger. Just innocently goes out, decides to visit the women in the land, right? And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, the prince of the land saw her, he seized her, lay with her, and humiliated her. We're dealing with a rape here, for real. This isn't supposed to happen, right? Israel wrestled with God. He's gone home. He's done exactly what God told him to do. No sooner do they get there than their family is rocked with this event. Do you know anybody who's had a daughter raped? Right? This is the kind of thing that you don't go a day afterwards not somehow thinking about it. Especially if you're the one who experienced it. So his soul was drawn to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. Hmm, I think it should say he lusted after her. Right? This isn't love. The Shechem spoke to his father Hamor saying, get me this girl for my wife. No apology. No, I'm sorry. Listen, I know I just raped you, but now I want you to be my wife. How would that marriage go? Right? We expect Dinah to have Stockholm Syndrome. So Jacob heard that he had defiled his daughter, Dinah, and his sons were with his livestock in the field. Jacob held his peace until they came. Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. Sons of Jacob had come in from the field as soon as they heard of it. And the men were indignant, very angry, because he had done an outrageous thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter. For such a thing must not be done. But Hamor spoke with him, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him to be his wife. Notice, no apology. No apology. Is this kid penitent? He has no concept of penitence at all. 
No apology, no recognition that what he has done is sinful and outrageous. And now what's burning inside of Jacob's own sons? Absolute anger. And what happens next is just, it's just terrible. Make marriages with us. Give your daughters to us and take our daughters for yourselves. You shall dwell with us and the land shall be open to you. Dwell and trade in it and get property in it. Don't worry, you'll be handsomely paid. You'll do well. You'll be rich. Shechem also said to her father and to her brothers, let, let me find favor in your eyes and whatever you say to me, I will give. Ask me for a great as great a bride price and gift as you will, and I will give you whatever you say to me. Only give me the young woman to be my wife. Sons of Jacob answered Shechem and his father Hamor deceitfully because he had defiled their sister Dinah. They said to them, We cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a disgrace to us. Only on this condition will we agree with you that you will become as we are by every male among you being circumcised. Then we will give our daughters to you, and we will take your daughters to ourselves, and we will dwell with you and become one people. But if you will not listen to us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and we will be gone. Their words pleased Hamor and Hamor's son Shechem. I have no idea why. No problemo. Let me grab a knife. So the young man did not delay to do the thing because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. Now he was the most honored of all of his father's house. So Hamor and his son Shechem came to the gate of their city and spoke to the men of their city saying, these men are at peace with us. Let them dwell in the land and trade in it for behold, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters as wives and let us give them as our daughters. Now remember, Jacob is an extremely wealthy man at this point. So, what are they thinking? They're going to get money. This guy's flocks and money, we're going to be in on his family. We're all going to be rich. We've won the lottery. Now remember, the text says that the sons of Jacob had acted deceitfully. They had a plan in mind. So only on this condition will these men agree to dwell with us to become one people when every male among us is circumcised as they are circumcised. Will not their livestock, their property, and all their beasts be ours? Only let us agree with them and they will dwell with us. And all who went out of the gate of his city listened to Hamor and his son Shechem and every male was circumcised. All who went out of the gate of the city. Boy, greed will make you do all kinds of stuff, will it not? Cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. Grab the knife, buddy. Now my turn, my turn. But in the days before, a proper understanding of bacteria and, you know, anesthetics and anesthesia, you know, right? Antibiotics. Anything that would, like, knock down infection. Things, well are going to go poorly for these guys. On the third day, I watched that third day stuff in Scripture, when they were sore, two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and came against the city while it fell secure, and they killed all the males. 
And that was their plan the whole time. Is this a righteous act? No. Not exactly. They acted deceitfully. And this is going to cause problems. But you're sitting there going, but Jacob and these guys are the patriarchs of the Old Testament. They should be setting an example for us to follow in godly living. This is an example of where we see just how sinful the patriarchs are. There's none righteous except for Christ. And this story, this there makes you go, you know what? The sufferings we're having in our family, we're in good company. It comforts us by way of the fact that we understand that in this temporary life, because of the consequences of sin, our lives do not go from victory to victory. And if you think that's what's going on in your life, give it a few more minutes. It'll turn. Right? No, he, Jacob was not a part of this. And watch what happens. So they killed Hamor and his son Shechem. They weren't exactly in fighting order. With the sword, they took Dinah out of Shechem's house and went away. The sons of Jacob came under upon the slain and plundered the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their flocks, their herds, their donkeys, whatever was in the city and in the field, all their wealth, all their little ones, and their wives, all that was in the houses they captured and they plundered. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have brought great trouble on me by making me stink to the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites and the Perizzites. My numbers are few, and if they gather themselves against me and attack me, I shall be destroyed, both I and my household. But they said, Should he treat our sister like a prostitute? Wow. And how how do you process this? I recently heard a sermon from a guy who is one of these seeker-driven types who actually believes that Christianity is all about, well, you receive from Jesus eternal life, and you also receive from Jesus a dream destiny that he's going to reveal to you, right? We call it the dream destiny thingy doctrine. You know, I call it that so that every time I mention it, I can always get a little dig on it because it's not taught in Scripture. And what I found fascinating is that this guy, no joke, in his sermon was musing, if you would, kind of ruminating in his thoughts. He goes, what if God doesn't pick you? He looks at the story in Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, you have the story of, well, the filling in of the empty office of apostle left by Judas. You've got Matthias and Joseph. Those are your two guys. They cast lots. Matthias is picked. And no no joke, this guy says, and Joseph wasn't picked. So I looked all through the New Testament to try to figure out, well, what happens to Joseph? And he's never mentioned ever again in all of Scripture. So the one time the guy shows up, shows up just a brief time, and God's picking his kickball team of apostles, right? And he goes, Matthias, you're in. Joseph, take a hike. And you never hear from him again. And this guy's theology is rocked by this reality, right? Well, this doesn't fit. The dream destiny thingy. 
What about Joseph? I mean, God's called him to dream, right? Get a dream big. He had a big dream. He almost made it on the team of the apostles. And now he disappears into obscurity. We never hear of him again. What do you do when the Bible doesn't fit your preconceived notions that Christianity is all about this upward victory campaign up to heaven and then Jesus meets you at the very end and says, way to go! Woo! You showed them. Is that how Jesus did it, by the way? That's not how Jesus did it. Did Jesus have a mega church at the very end? What happened to his disciples? Yeah. They hid. Just a few of them show up at the cross. The crowd wasn't saying, give us Jesus, come on, we want Jesus. They were yelling, crucify him. You see, the direction of Christianity, and we've got to get this, is straight into the ground. God exalts the humble. He humbles the exalted. The way of Christianity is the way of the cross. Jesus says, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Which begs the question, where do we get those things? And Jesus says, don't worry, I got one for you. This is an example of a cross. Not a figurative cross. These are the kinds of crosses that Jesus tells you to pick up. So there you are on your wedding day and you look at her and say, I do. And she looks at you and says, I do. And the past. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what, how my wife said it. I don't know about your guys. <laughs> I do. <laughs> right. And then you live happily ever after. Right. That's how all the fairy stories work. And they lived happily ever after. They had 3.2 children, a white picket fence, and all of the kids always said yes, sir, and no, sir. And they would always pick up after themselves without ever having to be asked. There was no sickness. There was no disease. Right? They all went to Stanford on a, on a full-ride scholarship. Academic, of course. But they could also play football. Yes, right? And everybody applauded you. Oh, I wish we could be like you. <laughs> Why do you guys sound so cynical? Right. You're tr <laughs> triggered. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's, hang on, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's my son right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So here we are. And Dinah, what great role does she play from here on out? Nothing. As far as we know, she goes to the grave unmarried. Last word about her is, well, she was, she was avenged. Now everyone in the land hates, hates the Hebrews. And she was treated like a prostitute. But the reality is, is that we know families who've had these kinds of things happen. We've had things like this happen in our families. And what do we do when situations like this come up? 
It becomes the family secret. Jacob's family secret is right there for you all to see. There's their big family secret for a whole world to see written in the Word of God. Right? But it's written there for your comfort. So when life's tragedies and Christ's cross crosses are laid on you and you are suffering and you are in affliction, you will know that God is faithful even through these horrible circumstances. God doesn't leave us or forsake us. Christ is with Jacob all the way. You sit there and go, well, why do bad things happen to good people? There's no such thing as a good person. Jacob is a sinner like you and I. Right? And that's really kind of the idea about being a Christian. I want to do a little cross-reference work. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Let me give you a little bit of a cross-reference kind of with this idea. I'm going to give you some background to this. Have you ever heard of the super apostles? Yeah. Now here's an irony. I'm going to say this. There is a megachurch pastor who has embraced this term and thinks it's a great term. Super apostles. Oh, yeah. We all know what a super apostle is. you got apostles... And then you have the Wonder Twins, right? Right? You got Superman, Spider-Man. I'm mixing things here up here, but you, you get what I'm saying, right? The Justice League, exactly. Well, let me tell you a little bit about the Super Apostles, and this will then this part of it will make sense. The Super Apostles were guys who were really, really good at well rhetoric, and in the days before television. What did you do for entertainment? Okay, that's true. I'm sure. Um, let me go a little farther back. In the days before, in the days before radio and television, yeah. What did you do for entertainment? Right? Yeah. Right. Okay. Now go back to antiquity. Yeah, rock fight. Yeah. Go back to antiquity. What did you do for entertainment? There were guys who would go around and, well, they would, they, would, they would do oratory. They could give those epic poems. They would tell you the story of, you know, for, of, the, of the Odyssey and the Iliad, right? They would do these things, and people would hang on their every word because they were gifted communicators. They could take an audience, and they can bring them to the heights of wonderfulness, and then bring them down to the depths of despair, and then make them laugh, and, and they had, it was like they were putty in their hands, right? Yeah? Well, there were a group of guys who thought, hey, you know, this Jesus gig, there's these churches popping up all over the place. Why don't we take like the Christian message and we can like outdo guys like, you know, Paul, who's ugly, cross-eyed. He's not a gifted communicator. Had an eye infection, raging eye infection. The guy can't speak worth, like I already said, he killed somebody while preaching once. I still have yet to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I said, yeah, it could happen, you know. Yeah, I'm shooting, I'm shooting really high here. But the, the idea is, is that by all worldly standards, Paul has nothing to offer. He's not entertaining. He's not good to look at. He's not good at speaking. The guy's really doesn't have much going for him. 
The super apostles, they're squeaky clean. They, they, they wear the best robes. And not only that, they make sure to charge the highest price possible for people to hear them engage in their oratory. The Apostle Paul, what does he charge? Nothing. And you know what these guys did? They literally used that as an argument as to why you shouldn't be listening to Paul. And here's the sad part. The church in Corinth listened to them. The church in Corinth fell for it. And so Paul, starting in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, addresses this issue. And the way he handles it is beautiful. But the way he handles it is by way of the cross. All right, we're going to pause right there and pay some bills. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break, we'll be back, get back to the rest of today's lesson uh, as we're working our way through Genesis chapter 34 and a cross reference found in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Stay tuned, don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> And now, Max Holiday's Birdcage Theater proudly presents Sessions with Mildred. Um, Mr. Sunshine, your three o'clock appointment is here. Oh, good. Send them right on in. Will do, Mr. Sunshine. Oh, dear, I've completely forgotten who I'm meeting. Let's just see who it is. Let's see. Oh, yes. Uh, Mr. Brightweight was at one o'clock. Miss Woodhead was at two. And at three, we have... No. Hello? Ah! Oh dear, not again. Sorry about that. It was merely a reflex action. I'm trying to get that face. So, anyway. Why are you here today? I was assigned to you again after my attitude didn't improve last time. Did you forget already? It must be because you don't like me. Of course I don't! Uh, uh, hate you! Nobody hates you here! We all love it when you're not around! I, 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 I mean, uh... <laughs> Let's get down to business. We're here to discuss how you performed in our newest, 
Lead Like Jesus program. I'll just pull up the complaint file here. <laughs> Let's start from the beginning. Approximately three hours later. So after you failed to walk on the lake, you then disappeared for two weeks and were luckily found by hikers in the mountain who claim they found you deliriously raving about how you refused to turn a rock into bread. Do you have anything to say for yourself? But I thought I was leading like Jesus, like you told me to. <sighs> I think you failed to see the purpose of this ministry outreach. There are a few accounts that even I can't even understand. Here, explain this one right here. Well, in Matthew 21, Jesus cursed a fig tree and it withered away because it didn't bear any fruit. So my neighbor down the street planted a lemon tree about three years ago, and I've never seen any lemons on it. So I walked over and cursed it, but it wouldn't die, so I used sulfuric acid instead. What are you doing to my tree? You maniac! Get out of my yard! Uh... What? Why is my tree melting? Sir, do you have a moment to talk about the Lead Like Jesus program? No, I don't have time to... Stop changing the subject! Get off my lawn! Stop! 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 I, I get it! Okay, how on earth did you get banned for life from the local soup kitchen? Well, remember the feeding of the 5,000 in Matthew chapter 14? Yes, we all know the story. You don't mean to tell me. Well... Alright, Mildred, we have a large shipment of food that just came in. We need you to direct the men to put it where it all belongs. Right. Where do you want it all? Oh, sir, we don't need your food today. I'm just going to leave like Jesus and have God provide these people with food. What? If you don't mind me saying, but I think God provided all the food on this heavily laden truck. It's okay. My pastor had a vision that this would work. Well, that settles it. Men, we've got the wrong place. We thought this was a soup kitchen, but it turns out that this is a loony bin. Head out! Uh, Mildred, where's the food? Don't worry, this is all the food we need. That's just two Ritz crackers and three dead goldfish. I'm leading like Jesus. If you just give me a wicker basket, I'll lift it up and God will multiply it. The only thing that's going to multiply is the number of bruises on your face. Good gravy! That's not what you're supposed to be doing at all! But I'm supposed to... I know! You're supposed to lead like Jesus, but you've clearly took this too literally. And this last one about you making a whip from electrical cords and chasing the poor baristas from the coffee shop in the church foyer while screaming something about brood of vipers and uh, turning God's house into a den of robbers is, is taking it too far. Well... No! Not again! No more flashbacks! Why do you keep getting these anyway? Sunshine, open up. This is the police. 
We received an anonymous phone call from biblical repairmen about you corrupting the youth and forcing them to do terrible things in the name of God. Curse you, anonymous caller! I can't go back to prison! You'll never take me alive, coppers! Um, does this mean our session is over? Liturgical art is a beautiful expression of Christ's great love for us. I'm Kelly Schumacher, founder of Anya's Day Arts, and I would like to help you learn about liturgical art and the beauty it portrays as you view it through paintings, drawings, sculptures, and altarpieces. I'm available to speak with your group. My website is anyusdayarts.com, A-G-N-U-S-D-E-I-Arts.com. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to become, well, supremely dissatisfied with your church. Especially if your pastor never works through biblical text or teaches you that Christianity is all about the victorious life. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, and your financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. You can partner with us. It's a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, well, you're automatically signing up uh, to contribute an amount that you pick. That's right. You get to pick your rank in our crew and our rank is based upon your monthly commitment. For those of you who join at our lowest rank, Powder Monkey, you pay $9.95 a month to support uh, Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. After that, Gunner's Mate, it's uh, $24.95 a month. Master Gunner at $49.95 a month. Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. This is a great way to support us. Everybody who joins our crew, we will send... Uh, it depends on your level. If, you know, if you know lower level, we will send you one of our bumper stickers as well as our Cairo flag stickers. Those of you who join at uh, Gunner's Mate and above will actually send you a copy of our brand new Reformanda card game. It, it's a fantastic game, and uh, those of you who are already starting to think about Christmas presents, yeah, Reformanda is a great Christmas present yeah, to uh, to give to a loved one or to your kids. Fantastic educational game details over at our website 
And, uh, of course, uh, we've just added into our uh, bake sale, uh, the bake sale that we're having right now to kind of help fill in the financial gaps that happened in the summer, uh, is we've added a, a, a Cairo flag uh, refrigerator, Megan, that you can purchase, and we will send that to you. So um, I want to thank you all for your contributions to help keep us on the air. If you'd like to make a one-time contribution, do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, here's the balance of today's ramblings. Here we go. So now you got the setup. you got the idea. Paul writes, I, Paul, myself, I entreat you, by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold when I am away. This is what they said. Well, that Paul, he's really humble and meek and just inconsequential when he's away, or you know, when he's you know, face to face. But when he's away, he writes boldly, like, you know, like, what is that about? This is one of their arguments against him. So I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. So notice here, we've got an interesting text. How many of you in evangelicalism have heard this, we destroy arguments and take captive thoughts and stuff like that? And this was the means by which you were told that when you have a sinful thought, you pull out this, this text and you go, and wait until it burns and crashes into the ground, right? That's actually not what this is talking about. That's not what this is referring to. The weapons of our warfare have to deal with lofty opinions raised against the knowledge of God. This is those who come against the Christian faith. And they say, listen, that Jesus guy, he believed in creation. He thought he was the creator, right? But we all know that we came from grandma and grandpa amoeba after they jumped out of the pool and became monkeys. Exactly. Quite the magical process, too, right? So the apologetic work of saying, no, 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 no. We did not come from monkeys or amoeba. We were created by God. That's what this is referring to. Okay? So although it's a good idea to take every thought captive, that's not the thoughts that this is referring to. So we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And now he's laying the foundation here. What these super apostles are all about, well... They're worldly, and their thoughts are actually lofty opinions. Notice the height. Lofty, satanic, right? Christ is meek and humble. So now we've got the dichotomy, the lofty thoughts against Christ, where Christ is meek and humble. And Paul is aligning himself with the weak, with the weak and humble Jesus. Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is in Christ, that he is Christ's, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ's, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave me, 
for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters, for they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account. And there you go. Direct quote. Direct quote about Paul from the super apostles. Right? Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves. Now notice the distinction here. What do the super apostles do? They commend themselves. Who sent them? They sent themselves. But when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. Oh, T.D. Jakes, he's such a gifted communicator. Oh, T.D. Jakes says, oh, I'm not as good as this person over here. And and Stephen Furtick says, oh, if only I could be like that. They're comparing themselves with one another, right? But what are they? They're entertainers. But we will not boast beyond limits but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God has assigned to us to reach even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. For we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. So let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved. It is the one whom the Lord commends. So you can see already in this opening chapter of his argument against the super apostles where he's going to cut the feet out right from under these guys. He's doing it brilliantly. He's doing it Christianly. And he's doing it according to the standards of the kingdom of God, not the standards of the world. The one who commends himself is behaving reprehensibly, not as a Christian. Christians don't act this way. Apostles don't act this way. Christ didn't act this way. Chapter 11. Now it gets really fun. Here comes the irony. I wish you would bear with me and a little foolishness. So Paul is going to take his tongue and stick it firmly in his cheek. And he is going to try his best to kind of speak like the super apostles. But in so doing, he's wanting you to know he is behaving foolishly. So do bear with me. For I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you received a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Notice the rebuke. These guys have come to you. They're preaching a different Jesus, a different spirit, and a different gospel, and you're loving them for it. That's a problem. And here's what he says. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these 
super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. So he acknowledges, yeah, that's right. I'm not good at oratory. Never studied how to do that. Right? Then he says this, did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preach God's gospel to you free of charge? These guys didn't. They charged the top price they could possibly get. They, would, they were kind of itinerant preachers and they would go from church to church, from town to town and charge the most exorbitant rates they could And you can tell their ministry was the most blessed based upon how much they charged. The Apostle Paul comes along and you know what his honorarium is? Zippo. Nothing. Right? And so how does this work in the economy of the world? Well, there's a reason why he doesn't charge nothing. Have you seen him? Have you heard him? Right? I heard he killed a kid. Preach for three hours. Who does that? Fell out of a window. Dead. Right? No wonder he can't make any money preaching the gospel. That's literally how they argued. Did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preach God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and I was in need, I didn't burden anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia, they supplied my need. So I refrained and I will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I don't love you? God knows that I love you. Right? So notice the fatherly appeal here too. Right? And what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms that we do. For such men are false apostles. They are deceitful workmen. They are disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness and their end will correspond to their deeds. What do you think their end is here? Fires of hell. I repeat, let no one think me foolish. But even if you do, all right, accept me as a fool so that I too may boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but I'm saying what I'm about to say as a fool. Okay, So you get the idea here. Remember what he's about to do. He's saying this as a fool. For you will gladly bear with fools, of course, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you. You bear it if they devour you or take advantage of you, or put on airs, or strike you in the face. That's probably what really happened. To my shame, I must say, 
We were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool. Well, I dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. Now, I'm talking like a madman, he says here. Just remind you. Speaking as a madman. With far greater labors. Far more imprisonments. With countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, lest one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst and without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Do you get it? The God and Father of the Lord, He who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor and her king Aratas was guarding the city in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. I must go on boasting. There is nothing to be gained by it. And here's the other part of it. The false prophets we heard about today in Jeremiah, these super apostles were like them. They claimed that they were receiving direct revelations and dreams and visions from the Lord. So Paul then addresses this. If I must go on boasting, though there's nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. And it's weird because he's talking about himself in third person here. That's who he's talking about. He can't quite bring himself to actually speak about himself in first person, so he's having trouble with this foolishness thing. It's going, it's rubbing against his conscience to make the point. So I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I, I don't know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weakness. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in my flesh. A messenger of Satan was sent to harass me and to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, 
I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And now do you see the parallel with Jacob? Right? God is taking Jacob right into the grave. And he's not going to limp away from it. And along the way, he's on fire and burning smoke and coming apart. And his family is literally cracking apart. And all of this keeps Jacob humble. All of this shows his weakness because just like the Apostle Paul, when Jacob is weak, that's where Christ is strong. And here's the thing. For what's about to come next in the story, Jacob has to be brought down to a very low level of weakness. Because what he's about to experience in his mind is the death of his most adored son. And so in preparation for that catastrophe, God takes Jacob and knocks him down. Because when we are weak, then Christ is strong in us. And that's who he needs in order to get through what's coming ahead. This is the way of the cross. This is the way of Christianity. This is the way of weakness. This is not the way of victory upon victory, of, way, of winning American Idol, America's Got Talent, or having a triple platinum album, or becoming the President of the United States, or the King of the World. This is the way of death. And this is how God operates. Why anyone would want to be a Christian is beyond me. Because these are the crosses that Christ lays on us. So Paul continues, I have been a fool. She forced me to. For I ought to have been commended by you. For I was not at all inferior to the super apostles, even though I am nothing. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you, and with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. For in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you? So I ask that you would forgive me for this wrong. Wow. See the difference? Knowing this then, what is your opinion? What do you think of those who teach that we as Christians should be living the victorious Christian life? The Christianity would only be compelling to somebody if it's demonstrated by the fact that you are so blessed, so favored of God, that when somebody sees your life, sees your car, sees your house, sees your speltness, sees whatever is so wonderful in the eyes of the world, they would say, what have you got that I don't got? Oh, and you say, oh, I got Jesus. Well, I got to get me some of that Jesus too, right? Is that the real Jesus? No. And this is comforting for us 
Because we've all suffered. And if you're not suffering right now, I promise you, you will. If you're not persecuted right now, I promise you, you will. At the conference yesterday, one of our speakers said the comment, and I think a lot of people really kind of caught it. But he said it twice. That he believes that maybe God is preparing us for internment camps. Right? Now you remember. Yeah, he did say that, didn't he? God may be doing that. And if we end up all in an internment camp, all you skinny people are dead. I'll last a little longer. (laughs) Dwayne and I will be the sole survivors. (laughs) If If that's our fate, are we cursed of God or are we blessed? Blessed. Consider it joy, my brothers. Consider it joy. So when the sufferings and afflictions and the persecution comes, Scripture tells us not to look at our circumstances and judge by eyesight, but judge it by faith, by what we heard in the Word of God. The world says cursed. God says blessed. The world says, surrender, we say rejoice. This is the way of the cross. Because Christ Himself considered it sheer joy to go to the cross, to bleed and to die for you. He's taking us through the curse, through death, into life. That means we're heading to death. So consider it sheer joy. And when you read stories like this in Scripture, about those who are afflicted, whose sins are so obvious and the circumstances so terrible, then know this. You, brothers and sisters, are in good company. And the company you are in is chiefly run by the one who bled and died for you, the author and perfecter of our faith. The way of Christianity is the way of death. The way of Christianity is the way of shame. The way of Christianity is the way of suffering. So let us rejoice that God would send such blessed things to us to humble us and make us weak because when we are weak, then we are strong. So what would you think? Love to get your feedback if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith. You could do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ by carries death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.